But um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and starting to read at verse 1, it says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, or caused them a lot of confusion, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? This morning, with the help of the Lord, I want to preach a message entitled, The Living Among the Dead. The Living Among the Dead. This message could possibly be misunderstood for an Easter Sunday message, but we would be a week early if that was the case. Um, But this message, I do believe, continues a recent theme in our services where the Lord has been leading us. If you think about many of the choruses that we have sung this morning, they've spoken much about the fact that the Lord is alive, that he rose from the dead. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian faith all year long, not just on the Easter long weekend. Because without the resurrection, everything that we believe falls apart. Without the confidence that Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything else begins to crumble because the truth of the resurrection is connected directly to the truth of who Jesus is and who he said that he was. And the hope that we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Whether that's from a still living status or a coming out of the grave model, that is the hope of the church. That is the hope that we look for. That is the reason that we live the way that we live today. Amen. Now, no credible historian questions the existence of Jesus as a man in Israel 2,000 years ago. I don't think there's any credible historians that would try to suggest he was a figment of someone's imagination in terms of his existence. But when we go beyond his simple existence and we speak of death, burial and resurrection, then there are a whole lot more skeptics. There are mockers and there are doubters when it comes to that issue. And the subject of death and what comes after death both fascinates and terrifies people. Because so much of it is unknown, especially from a measurable scientific approach, to consider that there is something afterwards, that there is a continued existence of some form, requires the belief in the spiritual realm. It requires the belief in the existence of something outside of time. And because in our human thinking we are very comfortable with the measurable things of what we can see and touch with the idea that everything has a beginning and an ending. We all have a beginning and an ending, and everything around about us has a beginning and an ending. And so to try to grasp from that limited perspective what is beyond the grave, or what is in the realm of eternity, is challenging for our minds. But Jesus in his ministry spoke repeatedly 
about dying and rising again from the dead. He, he, when you read the Gospels, it was not something he tried to hide. He, he mentioned it again and again. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, that his body would not stay in the grave long enough to see corruption, that it would not be there long enough to begin to decay and to break down. And But the, we, we make these statements and we read these scriptures with the wonderful benefit of looking back in hindsight and, and knowing that the Word of God records his resurrection. The disciples, however, who walked with him on a day-to-day basis, when he made those statements, they just, it didn't compute. It didn't register. In, in the beginning of Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the Bible says, up into a high mountain. And there they have a supernatural experience where Jesus is transfigured. That's not a word we use every day. But his appearance was changed before them. So much so that he shone with a brightness that there was nothing that could be compared to that brightness naturally. And in the midst of that experience, God spoke to them from heaven, endorsing that this was his son. An incredible experience. But then in in Mark 9 and verses 9 to 10, it says, And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them, or he gave them strict instruction, that they should tell no man what things they had seen, until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Verse 10 is very interesting because then it says, And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. The question they had wasn't what happened on the mountain. That would have been where my brain went. What did we just see? Anybody want to talk about what we just observed? But the discussion they were having was, What in the world is he talking about this rising from the dead? How is that possible? They didn't, it was hard for them to comprehend, and understandably so. But death, or the idea of being dead, has several meanings in the Scripture that I want to hopefully explore a, a little bit this morning without confusing myself and then you as a byproduct of that. But when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, back in the creation, God told them that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. That's what he was, he made that statement. Now, they were tempted. We know that. They gave in to that temptation. They sinned. They disobeyed God. But nobody dropped dead on the spot. Nobody just keeled over. They continued, as far as they could see, to be alive. But we know with the advantage and understanding of Scripture that two very significant things happened. Firstly, their bodies began to die. Aging began to take place. The possibility of illness and disease and sickness entered into the human race and physical death was now unavoidable. It was coming. Now, they lived a little longer than you and I do, but they still had a use-by date. They still had a time when their lives would physically come to an end. The second thing we know when we read the Scripture was that their disobedience to God caused a spiritual separation from God. Their relationship with God died They had a disconnection from the spiritual life that they had had with him before they sinned. This concept carries on through Scripture in in relation to humanity and even into the, the New Testament where the Scripture speaks both about our physical and spiritual condition. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you has he quickened, or he has made alive, who were, talking about our 
past condition, dead in trespasses and sins. That is the natural condition that every single person that is born into this world finds themselves in. That there is an appointment that we have with death. Now, you can live healthy, and I think that's a good thing to do, but you will never avoid death. Amen. We've all got it. We, We don't usually have an idea when it might be, but we all have a natural appointment with death. And before we are safe from our sins, we have a spiritual death within us as well. Amen. And when the, the Bible tells us that when time is over, and what we sometimes refer to maybe a little dramatically is the end of the world, but that is an accurate statement, all of humanity will stand before God and we will see the final eternal outcomes. Again, there are two things. There is eternal life with Jesus And there is eternal torment, which the scripture refers to in the book of Revelation as the second death. This is not a physical death, but this is a spiritual death that lasts for eternity. Amen. And we could get into that at length and go down rabbit holes today. But I want to focus this morning on death as a part of life right now, in the present. Strange message, I know. But hopefully if you stay with me, the Lord will maybe help us a little bit this morning. The gospel message centers around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where everything comes from. Without that, everything falls apart. The Lord's actions, his willingness to be obedient to the death of the cross, the fact that he rose again, completed a process whereby he not only paid the penalty for our sins, but he also defeated death through the resurrection power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. What he did literally set a pattern for us to follow spiritually. I'll say that again because I know we all varying degrees of understanding here, but what he did literally set a pattern for us to follow spiritually. When we, as the scripture instructs us, repent of our sins, when we have a genuine regret for our sins, that also includes a turning away from those sins, The scripture speaks of that as dying to sin or as dying to our old life. There's the parallel with his death. The Bible then instructs us that we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins. And scripture describes that as being buried with Jesus in baptism. There's the parallel with his burial. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost as is promised, and evident in the book of Acts with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues that is parallel to the resurrecting power of the Spirit of God when Jesus rose from the grave. So again, what he did literally set a pattern for us spiritually. Amen? Now many of us understand that, at least to a point, but let's take it just a little bit further. Once we have been born again, we begin a new life. We begin what we often call our walk with God. In other words, we begin to live in a way that is in harmony with God. He doesn't physically show up at your front door Monday morning after you got saved Sunday night and say, right, let's walk. But what is happening is that we are now choosing direction that is guided by and led by His Word and His will. And so we begin a walk with God. We begin a relationship with God. Now, because the death part of our salvation, the repentance wasn't physical and literal, obviously. We still get up every morning 
and we go about each day. And that day, like all other days, includes a choice of how we will live and who we will please in that day. That is a daily thing. That's why we talk so much about our need to connect with God daily. If you only said walk with me on Sundays, we could forget the rest of the week. But that's not what the Word of God teaches us. Amen. We have to make a choice. Now, option A, we're giving you options, which is very kind. Option A is to return to living in sin like we did before. That is the first option. Because that sinful nature is still resident within us, very happy to lead us back down that pathway. Very willing to take us down the pathway to the old life. Option B is to live the new life. A life that is guided by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Now the catch, the catch is that to choose option B, we must make the decision to reject the pull of option A. There's only two options. I hope I'm not getting confusing. If I decide that I want to walk with God, I have to decide to choose to reject the old life to choose to reject that natural drawing towards sinful behavior. And the Bible talks about that as a concept as daily dying to ourselves. It's not physical death, but it is saying that old life is dead. And I am going to die to it on a daily basis. Now, any of you that have walked with God for more than five minutes know that you still have a natural tendency toward the old life. But you can now choose by the power of the Spirit of God to go with walking with him. And when we talk about death in this context, we need to remember we were once dead in sin, but now we are required to be dead to sin. They don't sound very different, but there's a great difference between those two. When we were dead in sin, we were spiritually separated from God. But once we are born again, we choose to be dead to sin, which means I'm no longer going to be connected to that old life and the way that I used to live. Romans chapter 6, the first two verses underline this concept when the Apostle Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If God's grace provides forgiveness, why don't we just keep doing what we want and pull out the grace, get out of jail free card every time that we need it? But then he emphatically says, God forbid. He said, how shall we that are what? That are dead to sin live any longer therein. If we're going to be dead to sin, we can't live in sin. You're either dead in sin or dead to sin. Just a couple of two-letter words there that make all the difference. Now, if while we are trying to live this new life in Jesus Christ, we allow ourselves to be tempted because that's really what happens. It doesn't happen without your permission, if we're honest. If we allow ourselves to be tempted, we give in to sin, we trespass against God, we need to repent again and make that right with God. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful, I'm so glad for that, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we are trying to live for the Lord and we become aware that we have failed God, we need to make that right as soon as possible. We need to confess our sin to him. We need to ask him for his forgiveness and we need to then continue to walk with him. 
Now let's try to put a couple of these pieces together. There's a table hopefully on that next slide, which I hope you can read. It's not too bad. We've got three columns here. Oh, there's death in all of them. Okay? I've got to see my natural tends to go that way. I'm going to try and go the same way as the columns. Okay. Over here in our unsaved condition, we are dead in sin. Separated from God, currently lost. When we choose to be born again, when we have that new birth experience, that's when we become dead to sin. We repent, we walk away through the repentance of our sins. We begin a new life over here where we are dying to ourselves. We are saying, I am not going that path anymore, but I'm going to be dead to sin and I'm going to walk with God, which requires me daily to choose to not do those things, but to do the things that please Him. Amen. So when you look at this table, there's a whole lot of dying going on everywhere. It's a little bit morbid when we don't understand it. Because as much as it might not make sense to us, the dying is the key to living. When we choose the right kind of dying, it's the key to living. Amen. Death is supposed to lead to life. That's what's supposed to happen. It is the will of God, and I want to say this emphatically, it is the will of God that we would live an overcoming life and that we would live in the new life column. That's God's will. That is God's will. Amen. But he also knows that we are flawed. Anybody flawed in the building? Got some flawed people and a few perfect ones sprinkled amongst us. He knows that we are flawed and he knows that in our flawed condition, we may not always manage to stay in that column. God has never, ever excused sin. Let me be very clear about that. But he has always provided a remedy for it. We have to understand those two because sometimes we think a little bit doesn't matter. That's a false understanding. God has never said any sin is acceptable, but he has always provided a remedy or a solution for our sins. Amen. And the more successfully, and you, if you were here last weekend, you'll see hopefully a connection to the, the message from last weekend, but the more successfully or consistently that we die to our old selves, the less we will be repenting of sin. I'll say that again. The more successfully we stay in this column, the less sin we will have to repent of. Because when we die to sin... We cut off that option before it happens. But when we allow it to have a little bit of time and sit down and have a cup of coffee with that old nature and think, well, maybe I wouldn't mind. We, we open the door to things that bring us back to needing to repent again. So the, the, the more successfully, when I say success, I'm not talking about personal skill or ability. It all comes from him. I want to make that very clear several times this morning. But when we walk in the power of the Spirit of God, the more consistently we die to our old selves, the less sin we have to repent of. The opposite of that, which you can obviously conclude, is that the more that we let our old selves have control, the more we're going to need to repent of sins. Thank God today for His mercy, for His grace, for His long-suffering. Thank the, the Scripture says He knows what we're made of. He knows we're frail. He knows we're weak. And I am so, and I hope you are as well, so very, very thankful for the countless times that I have gone to him again and he's washed me in his blood again and again. Amen. We need to be thankful for that. But we need to be just as thankful for the times that he has kept us in his power.
that he has given us victory over sin and that he has helped us to walk with him. Last Sunday morning we ministered about the invisible man and how the power of the word of God and the spirit of God can put truth in our inward parts and can bring transformation. And this is again something of a continuation of those thoughts because there is a way provided. God has made a way that if we fall, if we fail, he has made a way for us to to make it right. Don't ever let the devil convince you when you fail or you stumble or you just give in to sin that God will kick you to the curb and you'll be on redemption. That is not what the scripture teaches us. That is not what the word of God teaches us. But in the midst of that assurance that there is a way, in the midst of that assurance that if I fail, he will still reach for me, we need to be just as convinced that it is not his will for us to live in a constant state of repenting from sin. It is not the will of God for us to struggle and drag ourselves around half dead, spiritually on the ground. That is not what the Word of God teaches. So He has made a way for us to be redeemed. He's made a way for us to repent if we mess up. But it is not the plan of God for His children to daily have to repent from sin that they have done and trespassed against the Lord. Amen. Please do not misunderstand me. I don't want anybody thinking, that's it, I'm done, I'm a lost cause. God is not looking for perfect people. That's the one thing he cannot find, even if he was looking for them. God is not looking for perfect people. God is looking for ordinary people that he can transform into overcomers. And so if you fit into the category today of being an ordinary person, if you think you're extraordinary, we may have a problem. But if you fit into the category of being an ordinary person, God is looking to make you an overcomer. He is looking to change your life in such a fashion that you can overcome sin, that you can resist the devil, that you can die to your old self and live a holy and an overcoming life. It is not for super Christians or the super spiritual because they are a myth. They don't exist. If you find them, they're going to be in the same place as the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny. They're not real. The church is filled with ordinary people that God has transformed, that God has delivered, that God has set free, that God has said, if you will hear my voice, if you will walk in my spirit, you can be an overcomer. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, and they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, that's Jesus, it says, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man can bind him, no, not with chains. There was something very strange going on here. Because that he had been often bound with fetters or shackles and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, he'd just broken them in pieces so that no man could tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. It's a well-known story, the demoniac from Gadara. But why? Why does this story record that the demon-possessed man lived among the tombs? In the graveyard. Howling and crying out at night. No wonder people think cemeteries are haunted. But why does it mention that? I believe that part of it is making a point 
that his behaviour was not what was considered normal, that his behaviour was a result of his spiritual condition, that because he was possessed with evil spirits, he was unable to be bound with chains and he found himself among the dead. It was not what was normal behaviour. Hanging out in the tombs was kind of weird. It wasn't where people lived. And you and I have been born again of water and spirit to live an overcoming life each day of the week. Not to be living among tombs, not to be living in a place where it is surrounded by death. That is not the will of God for us. Amen. It is not normal in the kingdom of God. It is not the will of God for us to live surrounded by spiritual death, having to repent for the same sins day after day. That is not God's will. And if you're struggling with that, there's a death problem. There's a death problem. Amen. It is the will of God for each of us to live in the dying to self column in that table, knowing his power and his victory. I'm not trying to discourage you this morning. I want to encourage you. Because the Apostle Paul said that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells also in your mortal bodies. He shall quicken you. He shall make you alive. That means you were dead, but he has made you alive. So if you are filled with the Holy Ghost this morning, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and he wants you to live, not to die. Hallelujah. Again, I'm not saying you'll never fail. Do not have that idea. I'm saying that constantly failing, constantly sinning means that we haven't got our dying sorted out yet. That's what that means. It is in the dying to self and the living for Jesus column that he will use us for his glory. It's in that column where God can move in you and through you and people will see something about you. Amen. Spiritual growth, which is God's desire for all of us, happens in the midst of consistency. If you are going to grow, it happens from consistent connection to the life source. If you're constantly having to reload, repent, reload, repent, reload, repent, reload, you're not consistently connected. God will always forgive, but that consistency is what's necessary for growth. As we taught last Sunday morning, it's when he dwells in our hearts. It's not when he occasionally visits. It's when he dwells. When that consistency is there, that's when there is life that we are plugged into that can help us to overcome that old man and that old lifestyle. I want to get rid of the idea that you've got to constantly struggle and drag yourself half around, half dead. That is not of God. We will struggle. Yes, you will have temptation. Yes, you will have hard times. Yes, guaranteed. But it is God's will that we live victoriously. I'm not preaching a prosperity doctrine that God's going to give you a big house and five cars and a million bucks. That's unbiblical. I'm talking about spiritual victory. I'm talking about living in a resurrected state. Romans chapter 6, a little further where we already read, verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, or because of this, we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, or in the same way, we should walk in newness of life. That is God's will, that you and I walk in newness of life. We are supposed to be dead, buried, and walking in life. We are supposed to have repented of our sins, been buried with him in baptism in Jesus' name, and walking in the power of the Spirit of God. There's a whole lot of dying here, but you've got to understand, when we recognize that if I die to that old self, there is life that I can have. The success of the living part cannot be separated from the dying part. If I'm going to live for him, I've got to die to self. John chapter 10 and verse 10, many of you know this verse, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief is the devil. He wants to keep you in some kind of half-dead spiritual zombie condition. That's what he wants. When you're barely hanging on and you feel like, I can't make it through another day. But the Lord wants you to be alive. And not just alive, but abundantly so. That means an overflow. That means an excess. That that means I'm not hanging on by my fingernails. That means that I'm walking in victory that other people are seeing the demonstration of his power. When he defeated death, hell, and the grave, it wasn't a photo finish. He didn't just be there. He left them in his dust. And we have to understand that's the kind of victory that he wants us to have. And if you're sitting here today and you're convinced that you cannot be victorious over sin, you're listening to the wrong playlist. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. You can live a victorious life. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. Amen. And now, again, for clarity, I'm not talking about not needing to grow anymore or not needing to change. You will always need to grow. You always need to mature to allow that sanctification process to be ongoing in our lives. That will, But there's a difference between the need for growth and sin that trespasses against God. We can always say, Lord, there's, there's more change that needs to happen. That's not the same thing as trespassing against God and needing to repent of those sins again. He's made a way. I'm so glad he's made a way that when I mess up, I can go to him and say, Lord, forgive me again. But he does not want that to be something that's happening the same way every day. That is a false understanding of how we're supposed to live for God. Bless the Lord. He is the potter. The Bible says we are the clay. That means there's molding, there's shaping. There is a perpetual ongoing work of the master's hands. Now, when you read the, the example, many of you know it from the book of Jeremiah. The Lord said to the prophet, he said, I want you to get up, go down to the potter's house. There's something I want to show you there, something I want to teach you. And he went down and he said, I saw the potter working with a lump of clay on that potter's wheel. And it says, the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. That's an old English word that means there was a floor of some sort. It doesn't tell us what it was. It doesn't tell us if it's a stick hanging out of the clay or some rocks or something that there was a problem with the clay that it could not yet become the vessel that it was supposed to be, that the potter wanted it to be. Notice that the Bible teaches us that the potter took that same piece of clay and made it again. He didn't shove it off the wheel and say, well, that's a complete waste of my time and effort and get a better piece. 
but he worked on it again. And that's you and I. He is constantly working on us again and again. But he wants us to live for him abundantly. That means with victory. Amen. And I know I preach a message like this. There are some people sitting there thinking, but Pastor, you don't know how hard I've tried. You don't know the struggles I'm having, and I'm not making light of any of that, but this book, which I trust, unfortunately, a little more than what we've convinced ourselves of. This book says that if I will die to self, I can be victorious. I can be an overcomer. I can have a testimony of what God brought me out of. And we could take the time today to have all of you different people stand and talk about where God's brought you from the things he's brought you out of, the chains he's broken, the addictions he's shattered, the families he's put back together, and on and on and on. Because you were willing to trust him and what he said. Stand with me if you would this morning.